Now, boys and girls, is that magical time in the worship service when I get all up in your business. If you have a Bible, I'd invite you to turn with me to Isaiah chapter 1. No one likes a prophet. No one likes a prophet. Prophets are always pointing out where we're failing. Prophets are always telling us how we can get better. Isaiah was no exception. Wasn't the kind of guy you'd want to invite over to your party, right? Isaiah had some wonderful things to say. It's a brilliant book in the Older Testament. It contains a little bit of everything that you could want or hope for. We're going to be spending a great deal of time in Isaiah starting now predominantly in December as we look at some of the texts of Advent that come to us from Isaiah's prophecy. You know, the kid's mother and I saddled our third son with the name Isaiah, and uh, he's kind of proud of being one of the only white Isaiahs in the world. When he calls for an Uber, he lives in Africa, he calls for an Uber, And uh, he gets in, they say, no, we're waiting for Isaiah. I am Isaiah. Same in Europe, wherever he is in the world, or even in the U.S., to be named Isaiah and to be white is uh, quite novel. But we named him that because of the courage that comes to us from the biblical prophet Isaiah, the prophet that no one likes, and before long, you're not going to like him much either. But let me preface this all by saying, church, how much I love you. I really, really do. This is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. (laughs) Isaiah chapter 1, verse 9 says, If the Lord of hosts had not left us a few survivors, we would have been like Sodom, become like Gomorrah towns known for gang rape, among other awful atrocities. So Isaiah says, verse 10, Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom, speaking figuratively now, metaphorically. Hey, you knuckleheads, listen up. Listen, verse 10, to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts. I don't delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who asked this from your hand? Trample my courts no more. Bringing offerings is futile, incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and calling of convocation, I cannot endure solemn assemblies with iniquity. Your new moons, your appointed festivals, my soul hates. They've become a burden to me, I am weary of bearing them. When you stretch out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. 
And there it is, that Old Testament God that we try so desperately to avoid. The God of vengeance, the God of disappointment, the God who looks at our faltering lives and says, you just don't measure And so we avoid it, right? We walk around and we don't talk about it. We say, flip ahead to the New Testament, Jesus. He's light and fluffy and good for all. And not this gloom and doom kind of stuff. But what do we miss when we avoid this gloom and doom? What is it that escapes our notice about this God of justice? And vengeance, this God who's not too happy with our lives. We come tripping in here and sing our songs and attend Bible study and plop a few bucks in the plate when it goes by. Just as an aside, I don't know if you know, the offering plate, that's kind of deposit only when that comes by. That's not for you to take out of. Just to clear that up, put your money in. All right, just kidding. So what of this God who doesn't like us? What of this God who says, my soul hates the junk that you do? It means, among other things perhaps, that we're going about stuff the wrong way. That our lives have gone off course, that we need to be corrected. Now you can see how people who are mean-spirited to begin with can take a text like this and just really wallop us on the head, right? You are no good, you are a worm, you are terrible. If you don't feel awful about yourself, you haven't been to church. This is not the God of self-esteem, this is the God who hates you and is waiting and longing for you to get your act together. Or we could see in the words of the prophetic call something to pay attention to, something to view with curiosity. What's going on? How have our lives gone off course to where Isaiah, the unpleasant prophet, points out to us that our lives really are a wreck? And maybe in doing so, in listening, actually listening and paying attention, to the unpleasant voice of the prophet, we will see and discover that the God of vengeance is the God of grace. And God doesn't have a split personality. God is one. And in that one is love and mercy and compassion and the life that we are supposed to be living in order to be truly and honestly fulfilled. What then shall we do when the prophet knocks us on the head? Verse 16, wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your doings before, from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rescue the oppressed, defend the orphan, plead for the widow. 
verses 16 and 17 are beautifully paired. What should we do, Isaiah? Stop doing what you're doing and start doing something different. In other words, it's not all that difficult to figure out. But we don't like the prophetic message because in our culture particularly, we're so doggone individualistic, right? There's no room in our culture for the prophet. Don't be telling me what to do. Don't be getting all up in my business. I'll do me, and you do you. But are we open to the prophetic voice that says, stop this and start that? Think about it in your life. Who may represent the voice of the prophet? Who is it that you trust enough to allow into your life to be able to point out things where maybe you've gone a little bit off course. Think about it in very practical terms. Who's the person that can approach you and say, you know what, your drinking has become a little excessive. Who's the person that you trust enough to be able to approach you and say, you know that relationship that you're in, that you find so good, may not be that good for you. Who are the people we trust like that? We have friends, we have advisors, we have family, but you know what? Sometimes the prophet is none of those. Sometimes the prophet is the person that you've not even given permission to enter your life, and sometimes the prophetic message will ring from outside of you. I'm encouraging you to be prepared for when this happens. It's not something we celebrate in our culture. It's not something we talk about. But it's something essential for people who will say, and we don't like prophets. It's probably not someone you like. It's, it might be, it might not be. It might be someone who irritates you. But if you're listening, and if your heart is stayed on God, if you are trying to walk the walk, you're going to hear this kind of stuff. Twice in my life, just in the past week. And I would tell you all about it, but you don't need to hear all that. Two separate people said something to me that I viewed as prophetic. Something in my life that needed to be looked at. So what do we do when that happens? According to verse 16, stop what you're doing, start doing something else. And that something else is not necessarily self-improvement, okay? The prophet is not all about you doing you and me doing me and becoming my best self like everyone in California is trying to do. The prophet's about the big picture. The prophet's about the global water crisis. The prophet's about hunger and injustice. The prophet's about sexual slavery. Things that we can do, big picture things that make the world a better place. That's the burden of the prophet. Learn to do good. Verse 17, seek justice. 
If you're not familiar with it, I wish you would become familiar with Micah, another prophet, chapter 6 and verse 8. Many of you know it. He has told you what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. That's sort of all-inclusive. Micah 6, 8 could be your life verse. This is what God wants from you, and it's not all about you and your peeps. It's about the big picture. Seek justice. Rescue the oppressed. Who are the oppressed in East Bay? Who are the oppressed with whom you are familiar? Who are the oppressed in your workplace? Some one of the children said it for us. Look out for those who are being bullied. That's justice. That's mercy. Was that you, Anastasia? Angelina? Woo! Angelina the prophet. <laughs> Defend the orphan. Plead for the widow. The orphan in the ancient Near Eastern society, the widow, these were people on the fringes. There are always people on the fringes. What are we doing for the people on the fringes? How is our life making a difference for the people around us? That, you know, we talk a lot about millennials. That's why millennials have left the church. They don't see it making any difference. What's the church doing about anything? Not much. We gather, we pray, we sing our songs. But we're really not committed to making a big picture dent in terms of what the world needs. Maybe that's something that we need to recapture. Not to get the millennials in. It's not about getting the millennials. It's not about getting anyone. It's about being the people of God, doing the work of God, which according to the prophet is justice, is looking out for the oppressed, the orphan, the widow, the minority, the refugee, the person who's on the fringe in the church. There is no fringe. We're all here. We all belong in. We're all committed. This is the next step. This is next step stuff for us as a congregation. First Baptist Alameda, who are we? What do we do? What is it that distinguishes us? Where is our source of identity? These past couple of years together, we've been exploring, figuring out, pastor and people, who are we? What are we doing? Everyone's welcome. Yeah, welcome for what? Maybe 2020 is going to be the year that we start looking at what kind of a difference we're making as a congregation. What is our burden? What is the prophetic message that beats within our chest? Why do we exist? What are we trying to accomplish? Maybe this thirst project that the innovation team is bringing to us is an opportunity to take a step in that direction and begin thinking about becoming a congregation that makes a difference. This thing, your Christian faith, is not a self-improvement project. It's not about becoming the best you. 
Yeah, hopefully you're a better person because of Christ. Hopefully you're not an idiot anymore. <laughs> hopefully you're not rude. All right? Hopefully you're not judgmental and terrible. Hopefully you're a more loving person. But to what end? To making a difference in the world. Jesus was committed to making a difference. And so he gathered a band of followers. He said, come with me. Let's go do something. The kingdom of God is at hand. What's it going to mean as 2019 rolls into 2020 at First Baptist Alameda about the kingdom of God spreading in its approach? It's going to be about this prophetic burden, the difference that you and I make with our lives. So this God of vengeance, maybe not so rough and rugged after all, maybe not one from whom we hide, or lave buried in the pages of the Older Testament, maybe one that we embrace. Maybe that God of vengeance isn't so mean after all. When we come to verse 18, Isaiah, and here's the thing about the voice of the prophet, sounds like Isaiah's voice, looks like Isaiah's writing, represents the heart of God. Come now, let us argue it out, says the Lord. The older versions say, come now, let us reason together. God says, slide up to the table within the negotiate. Though your sins are like scarlet, verse 18, they will be like snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall become like wool. That is grace upon grace in the Older Testament. That is forgiveness that is mercy, that is receiving what we don't deserve to receive. God says, look, your lives are indeed a wreck. As I've pointed out in the preceding ten verses, you have gone off course this way, that way, and the other. But listen, there's hope. Your lives are blood red, and I will rinse them, purify them, cleanse them, you will be as snow. For those of you that don't know, it's white stuff that comes from the sky and it blankets the earth with a beautiful, brilliant, bright white that the sun then reflects off of. From red to white, God says, I will change you. That's grace. Verse 19, if you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you'll be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The end of Isaiah's first prophecy. You, you have a choice. If you're willing and obedient, wonderful. If you're going to continue to rebel, you're going to be devoured by the sword, whatever that means. I don't know. Doesn't sound good. I sure wonder. Obedience and grace are not mutually exclusive. There is no separation. No Old Testament God, New Testament God. God is one. And it is all about grace it's always been about grace. 
People think the Old Testament was about keeping the laws, bringing the sacrifice, this, that, and the other. God says, look, all of those sacrifices are nothing. Means nothing to me. Because your hearts aren't right, you need an attitude adjustment. God says, I give you this attitude adjustment. It's grace. You're blood red. I make you white as snow. All I need from you, all I'm asking, is willingness, obedience, to walk in the way that I've showed you, to order your priorities the way that I order them, to see that helping little old ladies across the street is a really big deal for God. It's being concerned about the people around you. It's doing something about the poverty that you observe on a daily basis. It's about being the good Samaritan who had the wherewithal to slow down and take care of someone who is in obvious need. But so many times we walk on by to the other side. Why? I'm going to Bible study. Ain't got time for that stuff. And God says your Bible study is a sham. Don't do Bible study, don't do prayer, don't come to church to sing and dance and pray if you're not going to live a life that makes a difference. And all of God's people said, ouch! I thought I was good, right? I'm doing the deal. I'm coming to church, I'm filling the golden plate. Standing when they say stand, sitting when they say sit. Man, I even come and teach the kids. I do this, I do that. All of this to say it's not about externals. Like Uncle Mike said, it's not about going through the motions. It's about living a life of impact. Making a difference with the way we... Who am I? I don't have anything. I don't have Bill Gates' bank account. That's okay. You can make a difference with yours. Maybe it's been for you this morning, the voice of the prophet. And maybe it's making something click and come alive for you. I hope so. Maybe not. Maybe it's just another day in paradise. But when you walk out of here, are your ears open and attentive to the voice of the prophet? I want you to be open for it. I'm going to pray for it. I'm going to pray for you that it happens. That God gets you real good. That somebody, somewhere, says something to you about you that helps to reorient you and your priorities. Helps to align your values with the things that God values. That's my hope for you. That's my wish and my prayer. And you don't have to like me. Like Isaiah, I'm beyond all that. I just want you to hear. And I want you to live lives of diligent purpose 
and impact. Using the gifts and the capacity and the abilities that God has given to you uniquely to do something beautiful and amazing in the world. God, may it be in our generation, in our time, that we shift our focus from the externals of the Christian life, the rules that we keep, the things that we value. Might we be willing as individuals and as a community of believers to lay that aside, to pick up the mantle of discipleship, to follow Christ with abandon and to really make a difference in this world. God, how would you use a people who have the courage to listen to the voice of the prophet? We've made mistakes. We have regrets. But as we come to the table, we see that because of Christ Jesus, we are forgiven and free. We are a new creation with the capacity to live wonderfully in this world that you've placed us, in this time, these days in which we live. God, may it be in us, we pray. Amen.